Last week, uh, we dealt with a text in which Jesus healed a crippled man, a man who'd been crippled for 38 years. Uh, and it was a glorious thing to do, a very merciful thing to do. Uh, but it was on a Sabbath day. And uh, so this was work on the Sabbath. So the Jewish authorities started you know, coming after him, basically. Today we listen as Jesus defends himself against this charge of, of breaking the Sabbath. And he defends himself by displaying for us, revealing to us his unique relationship with the Father. Jesus talks about his total submission to God and God's total generosity with him. Jesus lifts the veil on his identity as the one and only Son of God. This revelation of the way Jesus submits to God and, and God is, is perfectly generous uh, with him will instruct our lives of submission to God. We will discover that submitting to God does not limit our lives. Instead of taking away things from our life, submitting to God gives us life, deep and lasting life. So, to our text, uh, the authorities are, have begun persecuting Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, and then we hear our text beginning at John 5, verse 17. Jesus answered them, My father is still working, and I am still working. For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father thereby making himself equal to God. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, the Son cannot do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be astonished. Indeed, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whomever he wishes. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted for his Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be astonished by this, for the hour is coming when all who are in their graves will hear the voice, his voice, and will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I seek to do not my own will, but the will of him 
who sent me. Let's pray together. Father, this is a very dense text. This text, Lord, we could stew on and ruminate over for months together. Your son teaches with such amazing authority and depth of insight. Teach us today uh, what we need to hear, God. Teach us today just, just exactly what we need to hear. Not too much, not too little. Just teach us enough that we might take the next step of faith before us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So in Jesus' day, the two things that would get you killed uh, in the Jewish community were breaking the Sabbath and blaspheming God. Even if you go back and you read the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, you'll see that the, all the rules that led to execution usually come rooted in these two crimes, basically. Uh, breaking the day of rest and, and blasphemy. Jesus stands accused of the first because he healed on the Sabbath. Now, as he defends himself... He opens himself to the second, the charge of blasphemy, because he says this. He says, my father is still working, and I also am working. Now, the text shows what's obvious. That is that Jesus says, God is my father. He says this dozens of times, referring to God as his father, and invites us to do the same, by the way. And the Jewish authorities say, hey, he's, he's equating himself with God, calling God his very own father. This, this, this makes it seem like he's equating himself to God, blasphemy. But the other way that he is committing blasphemy that's sort of hidden, and to be candid, something I'd never seen in the text before, is when Jesus says, my father is still working and I am still working, he's revealing that although the Sabbath laws of rest apply to, to, to human beings and all of their creative work, God doesn't truly rest. The theology at the time, the first, first century theology was, okay, if God created in six days, however you conceive of those six days, you know, uh, and then rested on the seventh, he truly didn't just do nothing because God holds everything together. I mean, it, it, is, it is God's activity, his will, his, his activity that, that, that holds the earth together, that holds our bodies together, that sustains us. And so clearly God uh, had to be doing something, working constantly on, even on the Sabbath. God alone gives life. Well, people are born on the Sabbath, so obviously God is working on the Sabbath. So when Jesus says, God is still working and I am still working, he's saying... Like God, I'm always at work. So we can see why this made the Jewish authorities really, really mad. 
He's either blaspheming. I mean, he's either blaspheming by saying that he is equivalent to God or he really is the one and only Son of God. He's either a raving lunatic or a criminal worthy of death or he is God in flesh. Now, this is the point at which other uh, religions in this world part from Christianity. No other religion declares that God was and is, that Jesus was and is God in flesh, that he is fully God and fully human. Now, this claim was not something that that the church fathers in the first century after Jesus rose kind of got together one evening and said, hey, so how do we deal with this whole Jesus? You know, uh, was he God? Was he human? And then they decide that evening he was both, 100% both. No, this is such a difficult concept that took them over two centuries of debating and arguing and reasoning and, and, and just discerning really who Jesus truly was And we Christians affirm today, continue to affirm today, yes, indeed, Jesus was and is fully God and was fully human. This is the one we look forward to this Advent season. This is why we uh, make such a big deal out of Christmas uh, in this place. Because it's not just another prophet being born. It's just not just another anointed man being born. It's God himself come near to us. Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So Jesus sort of... Uh, <laughs> Instead of just defending himself from one charge, he ups the ante, basically, and says, oh, you're just charging me with Sabbath-breaking here? Let me add blasphemy on top of that, and then we'll deal with this whole who-I-am question. And he gives what many people refer to as his divinity sermon here in John chapter 5. It's his defense, really, of who he is as God's unique son. God in flesh. He says, The Son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For what the Father does, the Son does likewise. In that sentence and throughout our text, Jesus defines his relationship with the Father as a relationship. He doesn't break it down scientifically. He doesn't define it in a static way. He defines who he is with the Father in terms of relationship. And this relationship is defined by perfect submission and perfect generosity. The Son yields to the Father. So he only does what he sees the Father doing. He submits to the will of God perfectly. The Father, in perfect generosity, reveals everything to the Son, reveals exactly what the Son is, uh, what to the Son, exactly what He is doing. God gives, Jesus submits. 
It's great that we had a baptism this morning because we got to read those incredible last words in Matthew uh, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And who gave it to Jesus? Well, God the Father gave him all authority in heaven and on earth. But Jesus executes that authority only in line with the will of God. He is only God's son as he acts as God's son. So the father gives everything to the son and the son submits everything to the father. What an extraordinary movement of God. We're not going to do it this morning, but you add the Holy Spirit into that and you got yourself a trinity and you got yourself some serious dancing, right? It's amazing the way God always functions as a community, a tri-unity. God is not an it. God is always relational within himself and with us. God is not a transaction. God is a relation. Amazingly, Jesus invites us into the unique relationship that he has with God. You talk about generosity. He invites us into the relationship that he has with God. In, later in John, and it's probably going to be nine months later in John, maybe six months later in John, we're going to read John 15 through 17. Read it this week. It's amazing. Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he prays for us. He overtly, remember, he, he overtly mentions you those who will come to faith because of the ministry of the disciples. He prays that they may be one as we are one. And that, that, that we will be one in him, even as he is one with the Father. So he's inviting us into this dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the movement of God on the earth. And not just the movement and the activity, but the relationship primarily of God on earth. We experience this unity with God as we yield our will to God's will. We function a lot more like Jesus in the relationship than we do God. We're not the one that gives generously in our relationship with God. We're the one who yields. God gives to us and we yield to him. I think one of the reasons that we either consciously or unconsciously resist submitting to God, well, first of all, there's just the word submission. Ugh, what a horrible word. Submit, yield. Um, it's just not American, for one thing. It's just not how we're brought up. We're brought up to be the actor, the initiator, right? Um, but one of the, I think one of the main reasons why we either consciously or unconsciously don't yield to God is that we think it will limit the scope of our lives, right? If we say, I am going to do only what God wants me to do, I'm going to execute the will of God for my life, uh, we feel like we're going to miss out on some good thing. I mean, I mean if, if we're only doing what God wants us to do, then, then there's going to be realms unexplored. Potentials may be unreached. 
we might not be as happy with our life, fully submitted to God, as we are not so submitted to God. That is, I think, our either conscious or unconscious resistance to living submitted to God. And yet, God is the giver of life. He's the giver of love. He's the giver of peace and grace and joy. In fact, God is the giver of every good thing and the giver of no bad thing. Yet we resist yielding to him because we think we might miss out on something. This is just foolish. This is just This is stupidity on our part, okay? And if that weren't enough, look at the way Jesus himself yields to God. Jesus, the very Son of God, is God in this way. He submits perfectly to God the Father. Far from limiting his life, constant and perfect submission extends his life into the very life of God. It is the way... He lives as son of God. If God is the giver of life, and he is, then if we submit to God, we gain life. If we resist God, we lose life. What does this submitted relationship to God look like? I mean, paint me a picture of this. Do you know what I mean? I think the, I mean, these words make sense, right? You're with me. I feel like you're with me. What does this look like? Jesus makes it very simple in this text. He says it looks like listening and trusting. Very truly, Jesus says, I tell you, Anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. Uh, translations always limp, right? Which is why you send your, your future pastors off to seminary where they can learn Greek, and you send your scholars off to get their PhDs in Greek and German and all that other stuff. Um, this particular translation limps uh, because the words here, uh, hears and believes in this sentence, are present participles, but they're not translated that way. Now you're going to ask me, what's a participle, aren't you? Participles usually end in ing, running, walking, and they modify a noun or a verb, Okay? So when hears and believes are translated literally as they were written, as present participles, Jesus is literally saying, anyone who is hearing my word and is believing the one who sent me has eternal life. I think this is fantastically important or I wouldn't have brought it up. I hear this text preached, anyone who hears my word and believes as, as, a, as a one moment thing. Like, you hear the word and you believe it, hallelujah, you're good. But Jesus isn't saying that. Jesus is saying the one who is, is, is hearing and is believing, is trusting me. This one has eternal life. This one is on this path. 
This one has passed from judgment into eternal life. Listening and trusting. Listening and trusting. So simple. So pure. I ask this of my children. Don't you, don't you parents ask this of your children? Uh, listen. Listen to me. Trust me. Like, I am unconditionally for you. <laughs> okay? So my words are important. And you can trust me. We, we want this from our children. I tell the truth. Be listening and be trusting me. And we don't want this just one time when they're like 10 years old. They say, I love you, Daddy. And we're like, good, that's cool. Great. Go on your merry way. Don't listen to me ever again. No, we want this continually. Be listening. Be trusting me. Jesus wants the same from us. He wants the very same thing from us, to be listening to him, to be trusting him. The theory is simple, but how do we do it? How do we do it? I submit to you this morning that we don't do it by Herculean effort. We don't do it while sweating, for instance. We don't do it 99% of the time. We don't do it while crying, moaning, groaning, or gaining sore muscles. I believe that listening and trusting is relaxed into. We can actually relax into listening to and trusting Jesus. Do you notice I was holding Luella uh, during the baptism? And it was great that she gave me this sermon illustration at the last second. I really needed it. I was holding Luella during the baptism. And did you see what she did? She arched her back and was like wanting to get as far away from me as possible. Now, we practiced this. We really did practice this. And she likes my smell. At least she snuggled with me before service. But no, she didn't. She, she oh, did this. And then during the prayer, she started crying. And then when I handed Luella to, to, to uh, Liz, she relaxed into Liz's arms. She, she relaxed into trusting her mother. This, this is what Jesus is inviting us to, to relax into him. To relax into listening, to relax into trusting. I have no creative application for this. Because it's so easy. You get here. You're doing it right now. You get here. Or in another church community. And you sit. And you relax into the word of God. You trust as the word of God is spoken. You just, you just do it. It's not hard to get to church on Sunday morning. You just drive there, get there, and do it. Well, kids, it's sometimes difficult. But, but it's worth a little bit of fussing. You relax into praying to God. You relax into it by saying, Lord, I haven't prayed in a while, but, 
this whole idea of not working hard toward a relationship with you and just relaxing into a relationship with you was extremely inviting. So let's just do that. And you just sit in quiet. And, and as you did, as you, as you dated the person you love, you, you don't force things. You just relax into it intentionally. Listening and trusting. Listening and trusting. This text gives other amazing illustrations of, of, of the generosity of God and what he gives his unique son of God, things he doesn't give to us, the right to give life, the right to judge. And it goes on to say how, how Jesus submits to God's will in everything and only does, executes this authority the way God would have him do so. Listening and trusting. Just listening and trusting. So here is, here is the way that God and Jesus coexist Together, God gives perfect with perfect generosity, and Jesus submits with perfect submission. He yields his will to God's will. And Jesus' submission does not diminish his life. It is the way he is, the unique Son of God. God puts everything into his hands, and Jesus executes that everything according to God's will. Jesus invites us into this extraordinary relationship of generosity and yielding, where God would give to us generously and we would yield our will to God's will. He invites us to live as his son and daughter, to receive every good thing and then submit it right back to him. And this submission, oh, it doesn't make us less. It doesn't, it doesn't cost us a thing. Because God constantly pours more and good things into our lives. The way we live in this relationship with God is by listening and trusting, attending to God's word. And trusting Jesus. We do this not through declaration. Not even through intention, but through action. By showing up, by relaxing into his arms. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray that you'd help us to do, all of us, Lord, to do that a little bit right now, or a lot. Oh, it's a season of anxiety and lots of stuff going on, Lord, and we can get so hyper. And Help us to simply trust you right now and to relax into your arms. To trust you as our creator. To trust you as our sustainer. To trust you as the giver of all good things. And Father, we take a moment of silence to simply listen. Put your words on our thoughts as we listen right now.
Spirit of the living God, move in us and around us this week, calling us to relax into you. Help us, Lord, to listen and trust. For your sake, Jesus. Amen. Amen.